Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 176. No pessimist ever discovered the secret of the stars or sailed to an unmarked, uncharted island or opened a new heaven to the human spirit. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Bob Hatch. Bob, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Great to have you here. Bob Hatch is the owner of Hatch & Sons in Hudson, Massachusetts. He's been buying, selling, restoring, and trading fine motor cars since 1970. And after selling his company in 2005, he grew a little restless and he purchased the original building that he had started his company in so many years ago and refurbished it and started anew with his son Jimmy and his grandson Chris. Today, they buy and sell the finest European automobiles in the world, and they focus on excellence, quality, and perfection. Bob has owned more than 125 230, 250, and 280 SL Mercedes-Benz automobiles, and Hatch & Sons are known as the authority on these beautiful classic cars. And I've been fortunate enough to have seen their work, and it's absolutely incredible. So, Bob, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment? And share some more about your history, your business, your career, and your passion for automobiles. I guess to start is uh, I grew up on a farm in, in Massachusetts. So uh, at a pretty young age, I learned how to drive my father's pickup around the, the back of the farm. Probably that's where I first got interested in, in automobiles, but it, it wasn't any one thing. It Just over the years, I guess it, it kind of grew and, uh, well, some people would say got out of control. but. <laughs> Even before I graduated from high school, when I was 14 years old, I bought my first car and resold it for a profit. All right. So I could buy the next car. And um, so I got into it pretty early. Uh, and then I, I went into the Air Force. I was an aircraft mechanic for four years. And then I went to work for the Air Force when I got out for another year and a half. Then ended up going to Xerox Corporation. I was there for 21 years. Wow. So I kind of had a, a couple of different careers early on. and uh, But I always fooled with cars. Uh, I used to sell cars you know, one, I'd buy one at a time, fix it up the way I liked it, drive it and, until somebody fell in love with it, and sell it and buy another one. <laughs> it's just what I enjoy doing, so uh did it for a long time before I realized 
maybe I should be doing it for a living, being as how I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> that epiphany showed up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, in, in uh, 1986, we we um, decided to give it a go. My, my oldest son was a Mercedes-Benz mechanic, uh, worked, worked for the local uh, new car dealer. So he, along with my other two sons and my wife and a couple of their uh, friends from high school started out in in Hudson, there were seven of us. After 10 years, we, we, we had a small gas station that we'd renovated uh, with a little two-car garage. We pretty much had outgrown it. We had 13 people working for us, and uh, that's when we made the big move and, and bought the place in Wayland, a uh, 25,000-square-foot building on uh, on three acres. Uh, nice. Even today, I, lo- I can look at a picture of that building, and it, it blows my mind that... Uh, that we even did it. <laughs> it yeah. Was, it was quite a risk at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, those moves are. Well, you've really been involved with Mercedes-Benz over these years in a very intimate way. And a friend of mine purchased a car from you, a 280SL, that was just fantastic. And that's how I was introduced, although I'd heard of your, your name and your business for many, many years. So what drove you towards Mercedes-Benz? What is it about that mark that you like so much? Well, it's funny. Up until um, 1969, I wouldn't know a Mercedes from a Chevy, basically. I was an American car guy, and I was mainly into Fords. A friend of mine bought a little 190B sedan, which is a little four-door 1964, pretty much the cheapest car they made, uh, four-speed on the column. They they use them for taxi cabs in Europe back then. Mm -hmm. I told him not to buy it. What do you want one of those things for? You know, I don't know how to work on it, and the parts are expensive, and the after he bought it anyway, and uh, once I drove it and did some work on it for him, I, I was impressed, even though it was a, an inexpensive low-end car, quality of it was just uh, undeniable. Every single thing about it was solid, well-made, thought out, and uh, it kind of won me over. So then I then I bought a, an old sedan myself to play with, and uh, once you get into Mercedes, I, you know, you start thinking about the sports cars, and uh, in 1973, I bought my first uh, SL, a 230 SL, and um, restored it, which at that point was a paint job and uh, a good service and some new tires and cleaning it up. You know, it was new enough. It didn't really need a total restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sold it for a large profit, and uh, that gave me a chance to go buy another one. I've been doing it ever since. Your story sounds a lot like uh, a young man who we've had on Cars, yeah, J.G. Francis out on the West Coast that is very much into old Mercedes and restoring them. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote, and this is something that's been instrumental in your life, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Bob, take the wheel. <laughs> well, I, I, I wrote this one down because it's it's a little bit long, and I tend to forget a word here or there, but it's kind of the way I think about things. Uh, I, I'm a an optimist, uh, if there ever was one. And uh, my favorite quote is in relation to that is, uh, no pessimist ever discovered the secret of the stars or sailed to an unmarked, uncharted island or opened a new heaven to the human spirit. Uh, and that was Helen Keller that said that. Oh, wow. And, uh, it it kind of makes me feel good about being an optimist because sometimes people who don't understand uh, just think you're stupid. And well, sometimes you are, but... Uh, Nevertheless, I I get up every morning thinking it's going to be a great day and uh, taking a chance uh, that maybe some people wouldn't. So over the years of doing all these things, uh, we took a lot of chances, and some of them I look back on, and if I'd known ahead of time how much 
how hard they were going to be, I might not have done it. Right. Well, it's a wonderful way to go through life. I love that quote. I've heard that quote before by Helen Keller, which, of course, is a woman who was met with many challenges. And the fact that she could say something like that puts us all in a state of, well, why can't we either? So absolutely fantastic. I love that. Would you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked a little bit about your youth, but is there a pivotal moment you remember in your life when you really knew that Bob Hatch was a car guy? I can't say there was any one moment. I, I One of the things I, I remember very well, though, and I, I can't tell you exactly what year it changed, but in the in the very beginnings, I was a car nut and uh, more than a car guy, I think, because people figured you were nuts if you were that crazy about cars. <laughs> and uh, it almost used to be a negative, uh, have a negative connotation to it for, for many years. And somewhere in the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, I don't even know when it started to change, but, um, you know, this thing that you're doing is kind of ties into it. Uh, car guys turn out to be not such bad people. As, as a matter of fact, <laughs> That's uh, right. most of my good friends I met through cars one way or another. And I, although I'm solely into uh, high-end European cars, I never met a car guy I didn't like. And I, I mean, I can look at a, a 48 Tucker or a a 55 Chevy or, or a 32 Ford Street Rod, uh, pretty much they all interest me. Uh, I, I have a, a friend that's uh, into collecting uh, mini cars, and he's got 40 or 50 of them. And wow. There's not a one that I really think I'd be thrilled with and want to buy, but I still think they're neat, and I love looking at them and talking to them about them. <laughs> so I just like cars. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you're really right, and I have a saying that if it rolls on rubber, I like it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. I think I think that's a great way, and you're right. Car people uh, are wonderful people. They're willing to share their cars with other people and their experiences, and that's what I'm finding the more people I speak to on cars, yeah. So, Bob, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've run your own business for so many years. It's been fraught, I'm sure, with successes, but also a lot of challenges and perhaps some failures. And I wondered if you would share a great challenge or failure that you've faced in your career. But the most important part of this question is, how did you overcome it, and what did you learn from it? Uh, probably the biggest one was the the move to the to the big building uh, 10 miles away that we, we actually purchased uh, back in 1994. We'd been looking for a while because we had outgrown our place, but I was looking to move from a 3,500-square-foot building to maybe a eight or 10,000-square-foot building just so we'd have enough room to do the things we wanted to do. I, we never thought that we were going to grow to the size we did or, or get to 32 employees. But anyway, my, my youngest son came home from uh, college vacation for Christmas, and uh, we had an unusually warm December weekend, which is unusual in our part of the country. And uh, we went out looking. I knew of a couple of buildings for sale. And there was one, uh, the one we ultimately bought, and it had been vacant for a few years. Um, grass was five feet tall in the front yard. We ended up, uh, it was locked, but it had some broken windows in the back. And I gave my son ten fingers. He climbed through a window <laughs> and opened a door so we could check it out. Uh-huh. And uh it turned out that uh, somebody had been in there and stolen uh, a lot of the wiring and plumbing out of the building. They they broken sinks, and so it was in pretty tough shape. But but the basics were there. It was way beyond anything I could even think of, of buying. But uh, with the help of my bank, with some really good people, because we've been with them for a lot of years, 
we managed to pull off the uh, unbelievable. I mean, it, we just we were, it was like a dream going through the whole thing, and uh, and of course then it turned into a nightmare when we got into the renovation of the building. Oh yes. Uh, but if I had known the. It turned out it wasn't zoned for automotive, and the town had misinformed us it was in the beginning. Oh, my gosh. If I had known all of that in the beginning, I probably would have given up. But luckily, we just went full steam ahead. And, and as each obstacle presented itself, we we got through it somehow or another. And to this day, it, it amazes me that we were able to do it. Well, it was that optimistic approach to life, I think, that kept you going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we just <laughs> kept plowing forward. Yeah. So I mean, every step of the way was some kind of problem, right up to and including the, the the big sign that we had made and put out front and how high it had to be. And, uh, you know, just it were typical things that a lot of people go through when you get into commercial buildings. Sure, sure. Well, but, but it all worked out. Well, I'm, I, I know it did work out, but boy, at the time, sometimes it must have felt like insurmountable barriers. Bob, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment with your business or your career. One of those times when you realize that, you know what, I think this idea, this concept is going to make it. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, again, it's hard to pin down one single moment because it was evolving all the time. But uh, one of the things we did when, when I first started in, in the small building, I had managed to have uh, 15 cars in the driveway. My wife was, uh, it's time, you got to do something. <laughs> so we were, and my oldest son said, well, you know, we, we'll open a place and we'll just work on our own cars and sell them. And I said, well, no, we, we're going to have to work on customer cars too to make sure we have enough business. So each part of it, kind of evolved that at the end we were we had a large business in late model sales and service of mercedes-benz mostly and we also had a separate business sales and service of the older cars what we call vintage Mm -hmm. in addition to that we had a we had a complete body shop of our own uh in the new building we we had our own interior shop where we did leather work so we had four or five separate parts of the business going at any one time which turned out to be a good thing because, you know, in a year when the old cars weren't selling as good, we could sell late model cars or vice versa. The body shop was always busy. Service was always busy. Yeah. So it, even though, you know, my my main focus was vintage cars and restoration, and if I could have afforded to just do that, that's the only thing I would have done. But all the other things tied together and, and made it all work. That diversification, not putting all your eggs in one basket was a good yeah, choice. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. And as anybody knows that's been in the car business, it's not an easy business to make a living at. It's, um, you know, even new car dealers struggle at a, you know, 4% net profit is, you know, is about average. It's not a, right. you got to do it because you love it. <laughs> How about proudest moments? I'm sure you've had many in your career over the years. But is there one in particular that really stands out for you? Probably the the biggest one was my first uh, national best of show. Now I think it was around 92, but we started taking our, our show restoration cars to more and more shows because, you know, that's how you get recognized. People hear about you when uh, part of what you do to bring the business together, to bring new customers in, sure. you can't just sit back on your laurels. And, and it gets very expensive, uh, uh, we did the uh, Santa Barbara, California show one year. And this is many years ago. We took 
we took two two cars out there and they both won their class right. and but it, by the time the dust settled it was a ten thousand dollar round trip oh yes you know, back 20 some odd years ago and that was a lot of money oh yeah so um we did as many as we could we, we probably should have done more over the years but we won uh, two or three national best of shows and uh when you get to the show it kind of makes you feel good about the the months of hard work that you've gone through to get there right uh, right yeah and then those shows are are well, they're be, they've become really, really, really combat, competitive over the years as well. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that's for sure. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Can you remember back to your first really special car, that car that really had a lot of meaning to you when you got it, and maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle? Well, at the time, <laughs> uh, when I was still into American cars, I, I, I got a a black 55 Ford convertible uh, with a standard transmission and overdrive. And back in the in the early 60s, that was a pretty neat ride. And uh, up till then, I owned really nothing but clunkers. So that was probably my first car that I really, I mean, I got excited about all of them, but that was, that car was kind of special. It's, it's also the car I, I owned when I, when I got married, uh, my wife and I went on a lot of first dates in it and prom and, and those kinds of things. Um, <laughs> So you married your high school sweetheart? Yes, I did. How oh, fantastic. Yep. Still together, 53 years. Wow, well, congratulations. <laughs> I, I do have one little story about it that no. somebody will probably get a laugh yeah, out of. Yeah, go ahead. Again, I was, uh, I think I was 16 and a half, 17 years old when I got it. Anyway, I decided it really needed a Hearst floor shift. And um, I, at the time, I couldn't afford a new one, but a friend had one that he took out of a car uh, that he'd sell me pretty cheap. And so I bought it, and over the weekend, I, uh, my friend and I installed it, and we got it all in and went for a ride and realized that first and reverse were were, were reversed from each other because I, the linkage I got with it was the wrong one for my car. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I, instead of uh, you know taking it back out and not driving it until I got the right piece, I said, oh, I can drive around this okay. <laughs> and um, I managed to do pretty good for a while, and then I was picking my wife up after school, and... Uh, we got stopped at a railroad track, and I was a little too far forward, so I quickly jammed it into reverse uh, to back up, and forgetting uh, in that hasty oh, moment no. that I had reversed it, and the car leapt forward. Luckily, I caught it before he hit anything and fixed it out, but uh, I didn't win any points with my future wife on that one. Uh, no, no. It's <laughs> a little spooky. So, Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned, and you've owned a lot of cars, and you've sold a lot of cars, but is there one you can think of that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Yeah, there there probably are actually, well, there's a lot of them, but there are two or three that stand out. But mm-hmm. certainly the, the um, i, I got to at least tell you about two because they were totally different eras. One yes. was I, I had a 69 uh, Mustang uh, Boss 429, um, with 6,000 original miles on it, a black oh, car. Oh, wow. I'd owned it for 10 years, uh, had no intention of ever selling it, and somebody out of state found out I had it, I don't know how, and uh, contacted me and kept making me offers, and we were starting up the new business. This was in the in the mid-'80s, mm-hmm. and um, I, he finally convinced me to sell it to him for you know five times what I paid for it because I bought it back in the in the energy crunch when you know gas was so expensive those nobody wanted those cars right but the car, it was literally a, a brand new car Ugh. and my my son said to me as it went out the driveway on a flatbed you're going to kick your butt someday for selling this car 
and he was right. And the, the guy who bought it, uh, as far as I know, still has it. He keeps it in his family room on a carpet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, we all have those vehicles we have to let go. And at the time, the reason is really valid. And you you just have to look forward and not look back. At, at least look back and say, well, I got to enjoy it all those years. But, yeah, ex- exactly. Yes, but yeah. uh, I've got several of those stories. You said there was a second car, too? I think it was around 2003. I, I sold three different 300 SLs that year. Uh, all in the two to three hundred thousand range, and they were all cars with under thirty thousand miles. But the the most significant of the bunch was a a nineteen sixty Roadster, yellow with black interiors, a special order yellow, and it was a Mercedes Benz factory Mexico City show car. Wow! And so it came with rudge wheels, which uh, really weren't available by nineteen sixty, and it, the car was just unbelievable. And uh, between the red wheels and the the colors and the show car, that was probably my favorite 300. And uh, I should have had the sense to keep it, but I didn't <laughs> at the time I needed to sell it. Luckily, I know the guy that owns it, and he's still got it, and uh, he enjoys it, and I don't think he'll ever give it up. <laughs> well, good. But I ask him every year or two just in case. Right. Or at least if you can go visit and say hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now at Hatch and Sons that really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm working on probably three different kind of special ones now that are they're all partial restorations rather than the you know the not the boat ones that we used to do, but they're all pretty. Not, one of them is my my uh, I, as you probably know, I built two. 280 SLs with 3.5 uh, drivetrains out of the 3.5 convertible in them. Yeah. And uh, I sold one of them a couple of years ago, but I kept one. And I'm always kind of updating that. I When I built it, I built one automatic and one standard shift car. I decided I was going to make a track car out of the standard shift car. So I, I did, didn't put power steering in it. I didn't put a radio in it. Uh, I was trying to make it as light as possible. By the time I got done with it, it was a national show winner. It's won a bunch of best of shows. And wow. It's a pristine car, and I never could bring myself to put it on the track. So after I sold the automatic one, I realized I was really getting sick of the manual steering. <laughs> and if I wanted to use it more, I'd have to put it back in. So I, I put power steering and a radio back in it last year, and I'm doing a few more updates to it now. Uh-huh. Uh, it's been 10 years since I originally restored it. So I'm working on that one. Then I have another one with an E320 drivetrain in it that somebody else did uh, on a ground-up restoration car. But it never really got final sorted out. And mm-hmm. um, So uh, we're doing all the little detail things that, that they kind of missed when they put it together to make it run and drive like it should. And then the third one is a, a, a 3.5, uh, 280SC 3.5 coupe. Uh, we're pretty much doing a complete, what I call a driver reg- reg- restoration to it. We're not, we're not going to take the suspensions out and polish every nut and bolt, but it's uh, pretty much a complete all apart, complete body interior, uh, chrome. Uh, it's going to be a great car. I hope to have that done in the spring. Ah, they sound fantastic. Now here's a fun question for you, Bob. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, and why? Well, that's an easy one. Uh, uh, in case you haven't figured out yet, I'm also an adrenaline freak. <laughs> and, uh, I have a, uh, I've had uh, four Ferrari challenge cars over the years, and presently I have a 430 challenge car. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing I enjoy most in the world is getting behind the wheel of that thing on a racetrack. So if, if I was going to be a car, it would be a Ferrari Challenge car. Nice. I, I always tell people uh, Mercedes and Porsche are my business, uh, German cars. Uh, Ferrari is my vice. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> everybody's got to have a vice, and that's why. Wonderful. So, Bob, up next is the last lap. But before we go there and put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free Filler Up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, Bob, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. And you're a guy that likes to get out on the track. You know what this means. The white flag is out. And this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, that's pretty easy. And, and I've gotten a lot of advice over the years, believe me. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's kind of a quote. I, I can't even tell you who told it to me. Originally, it might have been my general manager, who was also an old friend. Um, but the saying is, uh, you can never t- pay too much for a great car, nor too little for a bad one. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and that is certainly true. Uh, being in the restoration business, I mean, we literally could make a great car out of any car. The problem is, when you start with a bad one, it's financially, you're upside down when you get done. Yes. And nowadays, it's even hard to start with a good one and be upside down. But certainly, quality is the, with my business, we had a name for it that we got from competitors using, uh, the term was a Hatch and Sons car. Ah. And, you know, somebody would call me with a car for sale and say, well, it's nice, but, but it's not a Hatch and Sons car. And there you go. <laughs> I like that. Well, that lesson applies to commercial uh, buildings as well, I guess, as you learned when you did that restoration. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Probably uh, my attention to detail with when I'm doing a car and, and wanting to get everything perfect. The fact that I am somewhat pig-headed, so I, I don't give up easily. <laughs> and most importantly, um, over the years, we, we hired a, a great bunch of people. Again, we had an interior shop, a body shop, a race shop, a late model service. So we had a very good cross-section of really talented technicians mm-hmm. that, that I feel were the best of the best at everything they did. And with, without that kind of people working for you, you haven't got a prayer of, of coming out with a good product. Oh, absolutely. Do you have a resource that you would share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Perhaps it's a website you go to often, a blog that you receive, or even a supplier. Probably a, a lot, as far as suppliers, probably a lot, um, two or three of my, um, more than two or three, actually. Most of the guys who work for me have gone on on their own and and have shops. They've all been quite successful, uh, some really successful. My uh, my old uh, restoration manager has uh, since done a 540K and won his class at Pebble Beach with it. Wow. I hired him to wash and detail cars when we first <laughs> opened. He went to high school with my son. Neat. And... Uh, He's, he's uh, you know, just done unbelievable. So I, I always tell people, with something like that, give me a call, tell me what you're thinking about, and I'll direct you 
best I can to the people I think are the best at doing it. There you go. Uh, okay, that's in, fair enough. In, in addition to that, uh, as far as um, finding uh, suppliers and things, uh, the MMR website that uh, Peter Barassa runs is one I I uh, look at often. So uh, yeah. we know a lot of the same people. So. <laughs> yep, yeah. It's a great site that Peter has. He's been a guest here on Cars yeah, as well. So. Yeah. Is there a book that you could share with our listeners that you've read in the past that you really enjoyed? Well, I like to read. I read a lot of books, but um, being a car guy, I got to go with uh, Bert Levy, Last Open Road, and (laughs) and any of his other. I I love his books. I have them all. Yep. And um, they they make me laugh. They're funny. They're interesting. And and they go back to the era that that I remember growing up. So uh, he'd be number one on my list, any of his books. Yes, Bert has also been a guest here on Cars, yeah. And he's has Bert ever mooched any of your rides at the racetrack? Uh, no, but I'm sure he would if, if he had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great guy. Yeah, I love all of his series, Last Open Road, and all the rest. They're fantastic. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these resources at com slash Bob Hatch. All right, Bob, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for someone who loves cars like you do. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, but you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, you're going to have to keep it, what would that one vehicle be and why? That's pretty easy. It would be a, a, a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase Berlinetta. Competition Berlinetta because I'd want to drive it on the track. <laughs> I, I It just, to me, I love Ferraris too. Um, they've got a lot of great cars, but that's the one that, it's just the prettiest, in my personal opinion, it's the best-looking Ferrari ever built. Every line on it is perfect. Uh, I love it. And I, I remember when they were inexpensive enough that I could dream about owning one. Now they're so expensive I can't even dream about it. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are fantastic. I had many guests select that vehicle, and I had the pleasure, and I know you're down there in Florida during Cavalino Week right now, and I was there years ago, and I had the pleasure of meeting a, a friend of a friend, and he actually tossed me the keys and let me drive his. And it was one of those dream come true that I got to get behind the wheel of a 250 SWB and take it down the uh, Beeline Highway there. And I'll never, oh, yeah. I'll never forget uh, we were driving, and I was being a little timid, and he said, oh, come on. He said, put your foot down, downshift, and take the revs to the red line. And Really? And, and we did, and uh, boy, I, I'll never forget the sound of that engine and, and that car. Just fantastic, so great choice. Bob, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to spend a little time with me and the Car Jow listeners. I know you're getting ready to go to a Cavalino party this evening, and I, I sure wish I could join you. But before you go, could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the Beeline Highway in that 250 short wheelbase. Yeah, I, I actually have a quote from um, John Ruskin, um, who was uh, died in 1900. So it's it's very old. It's not. It was long before um, any of the things we're talking about now were in existence. But I think it still applies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it goes: uh, There's hardly anything in the world that some man cannot make a little worse and sell a little cheaper. <laughs> and the people who consider price only are that man's lawful prey. Uh-huh. And I, I, I had a framed picture of that hanging in my office uh, when we were, we were in business uh, in, in the big place down in Wayland because it's, it became so true. And, uh, you know, you get what you pay for in this yes. world. And uh, you, you really got to understand where, you, where you're spending your money. 
rather than just going with the cheapest guy out there. Absolutely. Great advice. Our kind of mantra for many years. Wonderful. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to write that one down. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Hatch & Sons, your company? Well, probably the best bet is to just uh, go on to our website, hatchandsons.com. Right. Uh, uh, I have to apologize. It's not quite as up-to-date as it, it should be these days because my uh, my grandson's way too busy working, and uh, I can only get him in once in a while to help us <laughs> with it. And, uh, we're, my son and I stumble through it, but neither one of us are really good at computer experts. Um, but are you, uh, our, our numbers are on the website as well, and... Uh, we're actually, we'd rather talk to people than email in most cases, so uh, I, I don't mind at all. People call me all the time with, um, you know, questions and advice, and, yep. you know, unfortunately we're not set up to do complete full restorations like we used to, but we, we try and pick one or two or three a year that we can kind of handle, and with sure. the help of my old employees, uh, we get them done. <laughs> Great. Well, listeners, you can find these links on Bob's show note page at carsyad.com slash Bob Hatch. Bob, I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right, Mark. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.